Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Happy to have our brother Gary McBride with us again this morning, although we don't have him here present physically. He is with us on the Zoom. So we're going to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time now over to our brother Gary McBride. Real quick before Gary starts, uh, Becca, would you make the Claremont Bible account host again? <laughs> we got dropped briefly. And do I need to back this up? Are we okay? Uh, yeah, back up. Well, good to be with you. Am I okay, Andy? A little choppy. A little choppy. <laughs> I feel like I'm upside down now. <laughs> Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Here you go. Is that better? Do I look better? Do I sound better? Okay. Uh, when Billy was leading the singing, it kept cutting out now and again. I thought he was ad libbing. <laughs> it reminds me of this not at all spiritual, but it reminds me of a story of a man who was missing time at work and he had a drinking problem. And the boss didn't know what was wrong, but he insisted he go see a doctor. So the man uh, went to the doctor and doctor confirmed what the problem was. But the man said, you, you can't write that down. You can't tell my boss or let my wife see that I have a drinking problem. And so the boss or the doctor wrote on his, his uh, prescription this man suffers from syncopation and so he took that home and his wife looked at it and didn't understand that and she looked it up and found out it was a musical term that meant irregular movement from bar to bar anyway that has nothing to do with our scripture this morning uh, i was going to say though if you want to get more people out you're going to have to return to having your snack uh, claremont's well known for the quality of the food in between uh, meetings. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're not there this morning. Well, we're looking at this passage in the book of uh, James and it has to do with, with conflict. Uh, James has just talked about the tongue in the first part of the chapter and then he talks about conflict in the beginning of the next chapter. And that's true through history, isn't it? Conflicts. And it's true through church history. Uh, you think of the New Testament, and you think of conflicts that are obvious and evident. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, uh, Paul could say. John writes of Diotrephes, a man who loves to have uh, the preeminence. He wanted to have his own way. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 2, those two women, Udia and Syntyche, who were not getting along. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the fact that they were divided into cliques and following uh, various uh, various people. There was conflict. Uh, the original PB conflict, we might say, was Paul and Barnabas uh, in their dis disagreement over uh, John Mark, whether to take him uh, on a second missionary journey after he uh, left during the first missionary journey. In terms of our history, assembly history, 
There, of course, have been many conflicts, uh, some large, such as uh, with Darby in the 1840s over the, what's called the Bethsaida question, uh, and the fact that uh, there was false teaching in one assembly and then uh, where John Mueller and, and uh, Coates were at Gilead Chapel in Bristol, they received people from Bethsaida and uh, Darby um, ostracized everybody then. And of course, out of that comes uh, Darby meetings or exclusive meetings. And so conflict is nothing new, it's not new in assembly life, it's not new in any denomination. There are uh, all sorts of types of Baptist uh, groups in North America. Conflict is just one of those, those things that, that happen. And so this passage talks about uh, conflict and one of the reasons that we experience conflict. Now, of course, uh, one of the things that happens in life is is we are to mature. And we've been thinking about that, the marks of maturity and getting along and dealing with people. And of course, in public school, high school, and even in, in our early 20s, uh, dealing with people can be far more difficult as we are developing. Our personalities don't really develop between until we're perhaps over 25 to 30 years old. And the real us uh, comes to, to light after we've had some pressure and a taste of real uh, real life. And so uh, conflict is something we have to work through. It's, uh, it's inevitable in life that we're going to have disagreements, but what's the outcome? And the outcome is usually determined by the attitude at the start. Where are we when we uh, start in relationships? And the challenge out of this passage is if we have conflict in our life, maybe we need to evaluate where we where we get our wisdom from and this is a tremendous passage it really in some ways is the uh sort of the, the focal point of of what james has to say because uh, maturity in a christian life is really going to come from from god <clears throat> and so he says uh, where do we get our our information uh, from our wisdom from You'll notice in here and on your outline, there is uh, the origin of wisdom. And there's two types of wisdom that are talked about. There's the operation of wisdom, how it functions, uh, depending on where it comes from, and then the outcome of wisdom. What is produced uh, depends on where, uh, where it comes from. So two sources of wisdom that James uh, presents to us here. And you'll notice that he talks about that in verse 15, what is not from above, but is earthly, sensual or fleshly and demonic. That's quite a, a description. And what he's describing there is the philosophy of this world. Um, we all, of course, have a philosophy of life. There's things that drive us, that motivate us. There's culture and then there's uh, personality and there's drive and determination and all sorts of things that, that drive us. But under scoring our uh, relationships, relational uh, abilities is where do we get our wisdom from? And the wisdom of the world would say that you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to promote yourself, put yourself uh, first, look out for number one. And we see that all the time, all around us, this emphasis 
on self, on gratification, on, on getting ahead. Uh, if you uh, at all listen to some of the um, talk shows on TV, uh, things like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, uh, they have some good advice, but central to it is, again, this idea that you are, you are what it's all about. And even in uh, religious circles, you listen to Joel Olstein, and it's what you are all about, what you can be. It's all focused on, on you, on self. Now, the whole word of faith movement has a, a focus on self. And so this type of thing is the wisdom of the world. And John tells us the whole world lies in the wicked one. And uh, we find in Ephesians chapter 2 that we once we were dead in trespass and sin, but we ordered our life according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And so uh, that's just what normal life is. This world says, here's how you should function. Here's how you should operate. And sadly, that worldly wisdom can spill over into church life. And I'm sure all of us who are older and look back on experiences and say, yes, that type of wisdom uh, has dominated at times in various individuals. And perhaps at times we've been caught into it as well. And so the wisdom of the world is not going to give us the divine direction or the life that God wants us uh, to live. And so in contrast to that, that origin, there's a wisdom that's from above, that is heavenly. So this wisdom in verse 15 does not uh, descend from above. And then in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above. And so there is a wisdom for life. And obviously its source is found in scripture and in the will and mind of, of God. Uh, the Lord Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he didn't tell us how to go to heaven, but he told us, since we're going to heaven, here's how we should live. And he gives guidance and direction for life on the way uh, to heaven, how his subjects should govern themselves. One of the things we learn from that passage and some others is that this divine wisdom comes from revelation or by revelation. It doesn't come by human reasoning, but it comes from above. And when you read, say, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's critical to recognize that the Lord Jesus is giving us by divine revelation, guidance and direction for life. Now, Solomon tells us in the book of Proverbs, the, the fear of the Lord is beginning of understanding in chapter 1, and then in chapter 9, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we want wisdom, we've got to come to the source. And we start with the fear of the Lord, reverence, respect for the Lord. In Colossians 2 verse 3, we find that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We found out in chapter 1 verse 5 of James that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so God is the source of wisdom. It's interesting, David, in Psalm 34, it's one of those psalms in the cave. And if you read 1 Samuel 22, you find out the type of people that gathered themselves to David. Uh, they're people that were discouraged and debt, uh, discontented, 
uh, not the cream of the crop, you would say. They were all sort of running from something. Um, I like to think of them as David's rock band. Uh, you could call them the Motley Crew, if you know what that means. But uh, here they were, and David in Psalm 34 says, let me tell you something or teach you something. And he says, I want to teach you the fear of the Lord. And so he wanted to instruct them. And ultimately, it's interesting that those men became like David. Uh, how many giant killers were in Saul's army? Not a single one, but there were giant killers in David's army. And so he taught them the fear of the Lord. And so if we want to have wisdom for life and for relationships, we need to look to the revelation God gives us. I heard a story once, I haven't been able to confirm this, but it has to be true because a preacher said it. It's a story about Martin Lloyd-Jones. Most of us perhaps know who uh, he was, but before he became a preacher, he was a cardiologist, actually one of the leading cardiologists in the world. And sometime in the 1930s, he had to give a lecture at Ann Arbor in Michigan. And he flew into Detroit and he rented a car. And of course, in those days, it's most likely you were going to rent a Model T, Ford. And on his way to Ann Arbor, the car broke down. He was on the side of the road. And though he was a world famous cardiologist, he didn't know anything about combustion engines. But another car pulled up behind him. The man asked what was wrong. And Martin Lloyd-Jones explained it. And so the man said, uh, you get in, uh, I'll do something under the hood here. And uh, the man touched something, did something, and the car started. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was pressed for time. So he, he said, do you have a card or something? I'd like to keep track of, uh, you know, or respond to you. So he took the card from the man, but he didn't read it. Later, after his lecture, he looked at the card and the name on the card was Henry Ford. So not surprising that Henry Ford, the one who made the car, knew how to get it going, how to run it. So it's not surprising that the God who made us and designed us for relationships should have the wisdom we need to live in the way that pleases him. So a wisdom from above or the wisdom of this world. There's people I know uh, who have gone to secular counselors because of issues in their life. And often, uh, in cases I know, these counselors have said, well, your religious upbringing is the root of your problems. And they see uh, the scriptures and church life and these things as a root of, of their problems. Uh, and so we need to look to God and to look to his word, uh, find our wisdom through revelation from above. And so different origins, but they're very different in operation as well. And so if we look at, uh, for instance, in chapter 4, verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war and so on. And so conflict, the operation of worldly wisdom. What, what is the operating mechanism? You find that in, in verse uh, 14, bitter envy and self-seeking. So these are the things that uh, drive worldly wisdom. Bitter envy. 
That is, we are uh, envious of what others have and what's available. It's, it's, uh, it's self-seeking. Or again, it's pride. It's what's in it for me. What can I gain? What can I have? The desire uh, for self and to promote uh, self. And he says, if those things are our operating principles, uh, the rest of that verse, verse 14 says, do not boast and lie against the truth. And the thought is, don't think that you are upholding the truth if these things are uh, functioning in you. Sometimes in uh, conflict in Christian circles, somebody may take that view that, well, yes, I'm upset and I'm acting this way, but it's only because I'm defending uh, the truth. But he says, if these things are your operating or motivating principles, don't claim to be uh, upholding the truth. He says, uh, that's not true. Don't, don't uh, try and fool people that, that the truth is the issue. The problem lies within. It's not the truth. And now sometimes we have to stand for the truth, but he's talking about the inner attitude, what motivates us, what drives us. Is it glory for God or is it these attitudes uh, within? When we become a Christian, there are things we're to get rid of. Colossians uh, 3, verse 5, we're to put to death. Verse 8, we're to put off anger, wrath, malice, those types of, of things. We're to get rid of these types of things, bitter envy and self-seeking. And those can be caustic, of course, and long-lasting. There are believers, there are families that have been torn apart and irreconcilable because of these inner attitudes. And so we've got to guard against them. But that wisdom from above, it operates on a, uh, a different plane than this wisdom uh, here, the, the wisdom of this, this world. Its operation is governed by a number of words that are presented in verse 17. So pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Well, that's quite a list compared to bitter envy and self-seeking. The negative lists in Scripture are always things that are self-centered. The positive lists in Scripture are always things that focus on others. Uh, bitter envy and self-seeking is about what's in it for me. This list here is what's in it for you, a totally different attitude. And so the operation is very different. And these give the evidence of where our wisdom comes from. So pure in terms of our attitude, you think of what Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 2, and he said to those believers, I didn't come to you uh, in deceit or uncleanness or guile. Uh, he wasn't trying to trick them in any way. He was being upfront with them in the proclamation of the, of the gospel. And so purity in attitude and in action. Then peaceable as well. Are we seeking peace? Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 3, we're to endeavor as much as lies in you, endeavor uh, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And verse 2 talks about lowliness of mind, about humility, what motivates us to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, Colossians 3.15 talks about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. And so if we are going to have a 
peaceable outcome, we've got to start with this type of attitude, him umpiring and controlling our lives as peace and control. To be gentle as well in our dealings with one another. This has the idea of being considerate of others. R.C. Chapman, uh, who many of you would know that name. He's written a couple of hymns that are in our book. He was uh, originally, initially a lawyer, and he became a pastor of a Baptist church in Barnstable in England, but he became or had a wonderful reputation for displaying love and care and concern. He came to a church that had had split after split and pastor after pastor had left. And he came and just uh, operate in such a gentle way that the church blossomed uh, under or with his, his leadership. And he, he had such a wonderful reputation. Uh, when Darby spoke to him about the Bethsaida question, uh, Darby said, you know, we waited six weeks. And Chapman's response was, I would have waited six years. So he would have, he would have responded uh, much differently. And so we want to be gentle and how we approach people, willing to yield. Well, that's a tough thing to do. I think many of us who have been married for a while uh, perhaps remember the early days of marriage when we were maybe afraid to yield. We we're thinking, if I yield on this one, I'm going to lose on every battle. And so sometimes we dig our feet in, not because we were right, but because we didn't want to, uh, to lose. But a willingness to yield, the mind of Christ. You read Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, and how we're to, uh, to view others. And if we approach conflict with this, with this attitude, it really makes a difference on the, on the outcome. Mercy. Uh, again, the idea of being compassionate, care uh, for one another. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And so it's important that we show uh, mercy. No partiality. We looked at that in chapter two as well, not to be prejudiced or show uh, partiality. Uh, I've been sending some emails to Lanny and his computer has been uh, redirecting them into spam. Uh, so I wrote him this morning to say, I think his computer is showing partiality to Canadians. And it's just redirecting these, these uh, emails into the wrong direction. So I said to him that he really needs to program uh, James 2, 1 to 13 into his computer. So it understands not to be partial. But it's easy for us uh, to show partiality. Again, if you were to read Colossians 3, 11, uh, the makeup of that local church, uh, different social, religious, ethnic backgrounds, barbarians and Scythians as well, and uh, we're called to get along. Do not show partiality. And then no hypocrisy. Uh, the word is to be sincere. People in those days would sell uh, clay jugs or jars. And if they had a crack in them, they'd put wax in that crack so it wouldn't be seen. But if you're buying one, you'd hold it up to the sunlight. And you'd realize it wasn't sincere. And there was something wrong. Uh, the word for an actor in Greek culture was hypocrite. And so it's incumbent upon us not to, not to be hypocrites. Remember the Lord Jesus said this of the Pharisees, that they were hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. They took care of the outside, but not the inside. So that's quite a list of things. If you compare in our minds, bitter envy and self-seeking with this list, what a, 
what a contrast. And so undoubtedly we'd want, uh, in terms of how we function, we want to be governed by the list in, in verse uh, 17. And then you think of the outcome. What, what flows uh, from this? Well, the wisdom of this world, uh, he says, leads to confusion. He says in verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What got good is going to come from it? Turmoil, conflict, it's destructive, it does not build up. Just keep your finger there, but look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think we looked at these verses once before. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, this is following uh, Paul's teaching about a vessel that's sanctified and fit for the master's use. Verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach patience and humility, correcting those who are in opposition and so on. So back to James uh, chapter three, he says, those, those things don't build up the church. They lead to strife, to conflict. And again, experientially, I'm sure many of us have seen that type of thing uh, happen. And who wants that? How good is that in church, church life to see those types of of things. And so that's the outcome, confusion and every evil thing. Nothing good is going to come from it. So again, if we're governed by the wisdom of this world and self-seeking and bitter envy, then it's not going to have a good outcome. It's not going to uh, produce something good. You know, Paul talks about being of one mind. I don't know if you've ever thought of what it means to be a or how you can be of one mind. Uh, no matter what you do in assembly life, people have different opinions. If you were to change the carpet and the color of your chairs there, people would have different opinions. How can you be of one mind? How can people two in a marriage be of one mind? Well, the only way to be one mind in assembly life is to have this goal in view that everything I do, I want for the glory of God and for the good of his people. And if that's your mind and my mind, uh, then things will work out differently. So that's the outcome, the worldly wisdom, but notice the outcome of heavenly wisdom, how different it is. Verse 18, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so we have an analogy of what goes in the ground and what comes out of the ground. The seed, what is the seed? The seed is peace. Remember, we talked about that in verse 17, peaceable. And so peace within. And if the peace of Christ rules within and then governs and directs how I react and relate to others, then the fruit that is produced is righteousness. What a, what a difference from strife, from confusion, from every evil thing to have a harvest of righteousness. Truly, that's what we want, don't we? To see God's people built up and encouraged and going on the things of Christ. And so that's the fruit we, we want to see. What a, what a difference in 
outcomes. And so, like I said, this is a, this is a tremendous passage. And, uh, you know, Christians really need to look at it and, and consider it. Uh, in Christendom, of course, not many people are interested in these types of, of things. But we who are saved have a new nature. We should have new desires, new appetites. And part of that is we want to please the Lord. And part of it is we want to be mature in how we relate to God's people. Uh, you know, in First uh, Corinthians 3.17, uh, the Lord Jesus talks about those that destroy the temple of God. He says, I will destroy them. The word destroy just means to make inoperative, to make useless, uh, to take the value away. And Paul there is talking about the local assembly. And so it's a very dangerous thing to be the source or cause of a conflict uh, such as James talks about here that ends up in destruction and confusion and evil things. And so we want to invest in what the Lord uh, values. Paul calls the, the house of the living God. We want to invest in that and see God's people built up. And so where does our wisdom come from? As I mentioned, Paul precedes this section by talking about our speech, and that gives indication of where our wisdom comes from. Then he follows this section about talking about the outcome of worldly wisdom, the wars and the fightings, because of, we don't get what we want. And so we do want that wisdom from above. It doesn't come by human reasoning, but it comes from revelation from heaven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so as we go through life, we want this outcome, I'm sure, righteousness, a harvest of righteousness, sown in peace, and the outcome to the glory of God. So a few things to, to think about. Trust that the Lord will bless that to your heart and life and give you some thoughts for the coming days and weeks. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for a wisdom that is from above, that's very different than the wisdom of this world, a wisdom that comes by revelation, by the God who made us, the one who designed us for relationships, for church life, has given us wisdom for living and for dealing with one another and interacting with each other. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Bless your word to our hearts. We just pray that we might take it to heart, not be hearers only, but doers of your word. So bless your word, bless your people. We thank you for them and for the testimony, both collectively and individually. We just ask your blessing in each life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.